You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Garth Brooks sings a song uh, he titled, Unanswered Prayers. And in it, he writes, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember, when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. The book of Job reminds us that life doesn't always go the way it's planned. Even for those of us who pray, sometimes I'm tempted to think, especially for those of us who pray. There are injuries that don't heal, applications that are rejected, marriages that are conflicted, children who turn away, finances that don't add up, and loved ones who are lost. To me, the tragic irony of the fire in London is that the first person we found about who was killed in that fire was an engineering student, 23 years old, and he had managed somehow to escape the uprising in Syria, the brutal suppressions of Assad, bombing by ISIS, and a dangerous crossing of the Mediterranean Sea only to die in a London stairwell. It's like, how could God rescue him from all of these very dramatic crises to let him die in a stairwell? Oh, hey, my son is calling. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, decline that, even though it is Father's Day. <laughs> I guess he, that tells you he's not listening to the sermon right now online, doesn't it? <laughs> he's in Texas. He's a couple hours ahead of us, so I'm sure he got back, not done from church. You never don't take a call from your son. I just want to tell you that. The book of Job really is a book of unanswered prayers. Um, Job presents God with all the hard facts of life. And there are no answers. That's what I love about the book. God doesn't help Job avoid suffering. What he does is give Job the strength to face suffering. And that's what I want as well. Job discovers what Garth Brooks discovers. That just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. So let's look at Job today. Would you pull out your Bible and turn to Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. Please remain seated because I would like the privilege of reading God's word for you aloud today. But I'd like to have you open it up so you can see it there in front of you. It's on page 392. Job is just before the book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible. Kind of interesting that God stitched a book on pain right into the center of his book. Uh, when I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. But for now, listen carefully. You're hearing God's holy word. Job chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 22. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels, and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked, I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just heard never will. To me, this passage raises two really important but hard questions, and I want to set them before you today as well. The first is this. What do you seek that you value most in life? What do you seek that you value most? And the second is, what do you have that you can never lose? What do you have that you can never lose? In the story that we're studying in the next few weeks, Satan is trying to take away from Job what matters most to him. And Job is trying to find what he still has when everything else is gone. Now, I realize that some of us don't have any place for a being called Satan in our understanding of the world, personified evil. Some of us don't even have much of a place for, for evil as a reality in the world, and many of us choose not to pray. But I want to invite you to participate because I think this book has something to offer you as well. Just translate all of those terms into life. Just say in your heart, instead of Satan, when life got hard, okay? Because there's something for all of us in this passage. These questions are important questions, and we all can wrestle with them. They're fundamentally questions of the heart. I want you to see that the heart is at the center of this whole book. In verse 8, where we read in our translation, 
the words of Satan, have you considered my servant Job? The Hebrew there is a little bit richer. The Hebrew says, have you set your heart upon my servant Job? Uh, Have you set your heart beside my servant Job? Have you measured your heart against the heart of my servant Job? This is a a challenge to Satan. And I think it's a challenge to us, uh, the readers of this book. How strong is your heart compared to the heart of this man, this servant of God named Job? Well... Who is Job? Verse 1 tells us, back at the beginning of the story, there was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright. Can't tell from that if Job is a historical character. Outside of the book of Job, there are only two other references to Job, and, 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 and uh, they're just tied to this book. So we don't know, did he live, or is he just sort of a figure that was invented here for this narrative? Not sure. Uh, but the story would locate him in time, around the same time of Abraham, patriarchal period, two, second millennium uh, B.C. He was an outsider to Israel. He's a Gentile, and uh, he's very wealthy. Verse 3 tells us he was the greatest of all the people in the earth. This was a great man, Job. And he was a father. And then one day, he lost it all. All of it. Which brings me to this first of our two questions. What do you seek that you value most? If you're wrestling with that question, here are a couple of, of, of ways to think about it. How do you spend your resources? How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? How do you expend your energy? Somewhere to look at your life from the outside, what would they say you're really seeking in life? What's the goal for you? What's it all about? Where are you headed? If you're still struggling with it, you could ask yourself a few questions like this. What do I worry about? Or what makes me angry when it's taken away? Or whose acceptance is non-negotiable for me? All these questions are really getting at the one question of what do you seek that you value most? And in this book, there's this contest, this cosmic contest that's really about what is the ultimate good in Job's life? What has he put as number one in his heart? And it had better be rock solid. Whatever it is, it better be rock solid, because in this story, at least, there is somebody out there who is trying to destabilize it, to take it away. Now, I know we get nervous about this story because it starts out with this frame, which the scholars call the prologue. It's the backstory, and there's this deal, and it looks like God is just making a bet, a, 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 a wager. And it looks like his servant, Job, this great man, is sort of a pawn, you know, or a poker chip. And we feel very uncomfortable, like God is willing to torch his servant just to make a point. But I want to tell you that, be careful there, because that really misses what's going on in this passage. Take a second and and, and make two points about why that's not really the dynamic here. The first is you have to notice that God is defending Job before Satan. God's defending Job before Satan. He's not exploiting him. Satan is attacking Job at the core of his being. He doesn't really have substance, Satan is alleging, and God is defending him. God is, through the pages of this book, vindicating Job. 
The other thing is that God is confronting evil. When we see by the uh, end of the prologue, near the end of the prologue, in chapter 2, verse 9, all this stuff happens to Job, and yet he did not sin. From that point forward, Satan is silenced. In fact, there's no reference to Satan the rest of the whole book. Why? Because Satan's faithfulness to God silences. Uh, Job's, sorry. Job's faithfulness to God silences Satan. Uh, so God's, through Job, confronting uh, evil. So this is actually really important, this drama that we see in the book. The attack really is on God. And, and this is the first insight I really want you to get. The, the attack is on God, and, and the question is, is God more valuable than the gifts that God gives to us as people? Is God himself more valuable than all the stuff and the things that he... If the stuff and the things went away, would you have nothing or would you have God, the, everything, is the question. The giver or the gifts? What have you put in first place in your life? This is the drama. Talking about God's goodness, not his moral goodness, does he do good things in the world, but his ontological goodness for you philosophers. Is he in himself worthy? Is he in himself supreme, most glorious of all things, created or un? This is the question. So you see Satan posing the question in verse 9 when Satan goes, yeah, he's a good guy, but he's being bought. You bought him. You got him. You're bribing him, basically. Does Job fear God for nothing, he says? Ah, I mean, if you take that neat hedge you put around his life away, if you quit blessing him with all this prosperity, then, God, you're history. He's got no use for you, and he'll walk away from you. And, and many of us would. But will Job? Has Job put something else in first place, or does he have God in first place, so that if everything else is lost, he still has what's everything to him? And we find out the answer in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. Blessed, I will bless the name of the Lord, he says. And then there's a second round, and more is taken from him, his physical health. And uh, his wife says, why don't we just give up the ghost here? Let's curse God and die. And Job says, should we take the good from God and not the evil as well? And in all of this, we read, Job did not sin. He does not turn his back on the one he loves most. The point here, then, is that Job pursues God through unanswered prayer. Job pursues God. This is my first point. Yes, his prayers are unanswered, but he will not walk away from God because God is his ultimate good. If your heart has been bought then your life is intrinsically unstable. When you lose the payments, so to speak, whatever gifts God is putting in your life, when they go away, then you have no use for God and you have no way of facing crisis with strength. I want to speak to you students for a moment this morning because I think the book of Job is incredibly important for those of you who are younger right now. Because you're at a place where you're, you're thinking about what's the trajectory of my life going to be all about? Where am I headed? You're about to make huge investments. Maybe you're already beginning to make huge investments in a, in, a, in a vector that's taking you somewhere. And the question is, what is going to be your goal? 
What do you put in first place above all other things? I didn't tell you, God used this book more than anything else to bring me to faith in Jesus. I encountered this book when I was a university student myself. And it was a time in my life, actually, where I was struggling. I've told some of you I used to row. I was on a crew. And I had gone through five surgeries, had lost crew, basically, and with it, my sense of identity. I had built everything around rowing. It wasn't just losing rowing. It was losing the stuff that came to me from rowing, like dates and respect (laughs) and pride. And these were good things. And I, I, I was this kind of adolescent worldview, but at that time, I felt like I didn't have a reason to live anymore. I mean, it rocked my world, and it challenged every other aspiration that I had, the career that I thought, the resume that I was building, the relationships I was trying to enter into, because I had something that was number two in the spot that's only worthy of the number one. And I, I, I read this book of Job, and I thought, man, first of all, I love how brutally honest it is. It was very true to my experience of what the world is like, all the pain and suffering. But secondly, what I couldn't shake off was this vision of a God who, when you take everything away from him and all the gifts he gives, is in himself a gift. In himself. This is a God who is so beautiful, so worthy, so just, so righteous, so intrinsically inviting, that even if he turned off the spigot and all of his blessings, you'll say, I have nowhere else to go because you have the words of life. I want you And that's what we get in Job. And he's howling into the darkness. But he's saying, I will not let you go, even if I've got nothing else. That's putting an ultimate thing in an ultimate place. And that's when your heart gets strong. Suffering for me ever since that, uh, uh, since coming to know Jesus really, has helped to recenter my life on what is most valuable. Sometimes people ask me, do you ever miss rowing? And I'll tell you, every day, as I ride my bike by the Montlake Cut, every day I miss rowing. And yet, I wouldn't trade it for, for, for the world because of all that I have received in Jesus Christ. I have no regrets about the loss of that gift. Second question, let's move on. What do you have that you can never lose? That you could never lose? I mean, if everything, quote-unquote, were gone, what would be left? Or who would be left? You, 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 is there anything in your life that you could say, well, I don't have anything, but I still do have this? They'll say you'll never forget two things. First of all, the person who kicked you when you were down, and secondly, the person who gave you a hand up. What we see here is that Job has someone who will ultimately give him a hand up, whom he cannot lose, who cannot be shaken. I mean, Job, when you read this book, you're going to see he's pushing and he's pushing and he's pushing against God. He's trying to push God. But God will not be pushed out of his life. For 42 chapters, God is a conversation partner, patiently listening to Job and then ultimately speaking into his life, this beautiful vision that comes at the end. What I love about these first two chapters, called the prologue by scholars, is that it gives us kind of a split window view of this story. See, Job, for 40 chapters, thinks God is angry at him, that God has absolutely abandoned him. All the pain in his life seems to witness to the fact that he's despised by God. He's in the hands of a a mean fate. But the reader knows that's not true. Because very cleverly, the skillful storyteller has given us a split screen. He's given us a, a window into heaven, kind of a backstory, pulled back the curtain. And what we learn in the first two chapters is God is absolutely infatuated with Job. 
God delights in Job. He's like one of the you, you grandparents, you know, that you're, you're so doting and adoring of your grandchildren. You're constantly showing me pictures of these grandkids all the time. And I have to go, oh, that's the special, that's the beautiful. Look, that's what God is doing about Job. He's going to Satan and the whole heavenly council. He goes, how about my, how about my servant Job? Huh? Huh? He's awesome. And they're like, put that away. We heard about them. Keep hearing about Job, you know. God loves Job. I mean, Job can in a million million lives shake God off of his tail. God is pursuing Job through all of his unanswered prayer. That's the second point. The first is that Job pursues God, but now it's that God pursues Job, pursues you through your experience of unanswered prayer. You can never lose God. James Torrance, a Scottish theologian, says, you know, to have a coherent picture of the world, you have to have three things. You have to have an understanding of God's power. You have to have an understanding of God's love. And you have to have an understanding that evil is real. And it's unique to the biblical tradition that those three things get held together. Torrance writes, The great thing about the Bible is that it assumes these three presuppositions to be absolutely real, as Job did, and so points us to the cross, where we see not only the reality of evil and suffering at its worst, but also God's almighty power and love revealed to destroy them. The gospel does not give simply a theoretical answer, but a practical one. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God takes our suffering to himself and destroys the power of evil and gives us the promise of a kingdom where pain and suffering will be no more. See, this is how far God has pursued his beloved creation. He has pursued you to the very end. Can't lose him. You cannot lose him. We see this in our baptism. When Jesus is baptized, again, there's a curtain that's pulled back on eternity and a voice that says, this is my beloved child. In him I'm well pleased. Same thing. And Jesus is baptized not because he has any sin to be cleansed, but because he will command us to be baptized. And he identifies with us, and we identify with him in our baptism. And so in the waters of baptism, it's like a, God puts a tattoo on your soul and says, you are mine. With you, my child, I am pleased my beloved child. And then, though, just like God sends Jesus out into the wilderness, remember the Spirit immediately after his baptism sends him out into this, what, to do what? To suffer, to experience real pain in the wilderness. So God does not shield Job. God does not shield Jesus. God does not shield you and me as we follow Jesus from pain. And look, friends, I realize this is where it gets really awkward. But if you're going to take the book of Job seriously, you have to somehow make sense of the fact that God seems complicit in the pain that Job experiences. And I think the lesson here for us is that however you understand it, that God will lead you into and through places of deep suffering in your life. He'll do that. There's a story in the, the book, The Horse and His Boy, The Chronicles of Narnia, where there's a boy uh, riding a horse through a dark night, and there's a, there's a fog, and he can't see much. But as he rides along, he senses another presence in the darkness beside him. It creeps him out. Finally, he's got to speak to it. And this boy has suffered a lot. He's an orphan, found in a cemetery, lived his life on the run, and he's kind of wringing his hands and complaining about how hard it has been to be him. 
He says to the voice, I must be the most unfortunate boy that has ever lived in the whole world. He tells the story of being chased by lions here, and someone else is attacked by a lion there. And he says, don't you think it's weird that there were so many lions? And of course, if you know the book, you know that the Christ character, Aslan, is a lion. It turns out this character in the dark says, well, there, were, there was only one lion. And the voice says, one lion? How do you know? He says, because, because I am the lion. And, and, and as he thinks back on his life, he was all of those crises, all of those critical turning points. There was a cat or a lion. There was someone there. It's the presence of Jesus suffering with you, bringing not only the pain of his dying, but the power of his rising into those turning points. See? The Apostle Paul talked about his unanswered prayer very candidly in the second epistle of the Corinthians. He said, oh, time after time, I asked the Lord to take out, he called it a thorn in his flesh. And I love that we don't know what it is because it could be whatever you struggle with. Paul says, I kept saying, would you take it away? And there was no answer to that prayer, except he says this, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. I don't give you the answer you want to make it all go away, but what I'm going to give you is grace. Grace I couldn't give you if you weren't weak. Power to confront suffering, not to avoid it. And I just wonder if maybe this is what Jesus does in our lives as well, with pain. And make you a vessel for grace and all of this weakness that the world might be able to see in you my strength because I love you. To the very end. Job says in chapter 23, verse 10, when he has tested me, I shall come out like gold. So have you set your heart beside my servant Job? Have you? There are two things that will make your heart strong. The first is pursuing him as number one in your life. Taking the thing that has the most value and seeking it as your greatest value. The second thing is to boast in your weakness because it's in your weakness, brothers and sisters, that you meet the one who is truly strong, the one who is pursuing you in love. Finally, one last word about how strong Job's heart is. Remember, I told you that After Job stands up through suffering faithfully, we never hear again from Satan. This is a cosmic victory over the powers of darkness. God initiated this confrontation directly, uh, but it was Job who proved decisive. Is this not an incredible responsibility that he's given human beings? That literally, just through enduring pain, we can throw down the powers of darkness. Just whatever you're going through today, I I wonder if there isn't another split screen where right now the powers, the heavenly powers can see what's going on in your life in ways that we can't see it. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 verse 18, after his disciples go out in pairs and then they come back, he has this to say, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. So do remember, do remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. 
Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a beautiful drama this is into which we are invited today. Wake us up to your profound love for us. There is more hurt and pain in this room than we can imagine. And so we pray for those that are right and left. Indeed, we pray for this beleaguered creation right now and ask that in our weakness, we might come to know your strength, the resurrection power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us and who lives for us and who ever intercedes on our behalf. In his name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.